And hey, if you got the workbook, that's right. We're on page 103, chapter 9, and we are on the topic of my Bible study. And it's such a big thing, I'm just going to uh, hyphenate there. And as you see there at the top of page 103, if you're uh, there following along, it says, Is the Bible one book or many? Just say, and you get it right every single time. Uh, it's one, but it's made up of? Many. As we saw that, well, is that confusing? No, it's not confusing. What you see, the point is, it is, in fact, one book made up of 66 books, but the whole thing what? Fits together. That's right. You got it right before I even finished spelling it. It fits together, uh, as we saw last week. Now, why is that important? Because if you get it wrong, okay, you're going to apply it wrong. If you apply it wrong, uh, then that's going to be detrimental in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you share with other people wrong, then guess what that gives birth to? false teaching and that's what we're all about wrong answer no we want to get it accurately but if you get it wrong if you don't see how it fits together you're going to get all kinds of problems we saw last week there at the bottom page we saw that the bible of course is split up into the two classic uh uh, categories okay time frames if you will and that's the ot versus nt which stands for man you guys really are christians give yourself a hand tonight that's right man audience participation old testament new testament that's pretty obvious now the old implies that what we still follow it no, that's why it's called old. It's the old covenant, the old contract. We're under the new contract. You guys are, man, scoring all kinds of points. I don't have enough granola bars for you uh, to throw at you. Uh, but again, we're going to see tonight, we're going to get into these different time periods. And again, the reason why you need to understand, the gospel has always been the same. Uh, meaning, uh, the means of which that we can become acceptable God by God has always been the same. As we saw last week, if you're here, okay, you got basically the cross, the centerpiece. You got the New Testament. You got the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament saints look forward. It's always been, we're going to see this again tonight, always been by means of faith in God's provision. Okay, you and I look backwards to the cross in faith to God's provision of Jesus Christ. Okay, but what we're going to see is again, even in the two major time periods with the Old Testament and New Testament, there's different ways that God dealt with man. Okay, and we still got some coming down the pike, certainly with the millennial kingdom after the seven year tribulation. Okay, let's pick up where we left off last time. What are then dispensations towards the bottom of page 104? As we saw, if you really want to understand that giant Christianese word, dispensation, okay, uh, it just basically means time period okay and again the whole point with time periods is you need to understand that God's not doing the same thing every single time and we're going to look at seven classical ones uh, tonight if we can even get that far how many guys are people of faith how many guys think we can actually make it through all seven dispensations Some of you are realists, aren't you? And you know me too well. But, uh, and that would be the bulk of the crowd. Okay, but uh, let's take a look there. Seven dispensations or time periods are commonly recognized in Scripture. And that is this. Innocence, conscience, government, promise, law, grace, and the millennial kingdom. Uh, Schaefer writes this. He said, it is probable that the recognition of these time periods, dispensations, sheds more light on the whole message of the Bible than any other aspect of biblical study. Now, what's that imply? What's he saying there? This is important. If you've got to study something, get this and, and, and study it and get it right. Why? Because again, you get these things wrong, you're going to wrongly apply it. You're going to go into legalism. You're going to go into false teaching. Don't do it. So you, man, of all things, you need to understand how God's operating throughout the scripture, not just know the scripture. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Uh, often the first clear understanding of the dispensations of God's revealed purposes in them results in beginning of useful Bible knowledge and the fostering of a personal interest in the Bible itself. Listen to this phrase, okay? Man's relation to God is not the same in every age. Okay, we'll give you some clear examples of that. Now, that's not the same thing as salvation. It's always been by faith. 
But as far as how God interacts and what he expects of people is different. And that's where people get confused. And that's again where we saw before. You had the church of the robes, the church of the no robes, the church of the black robes, green robes, uh, and we just wear shoes. Okay, uh, because people do all this kind of weird stuff. Okay, it has been necessary, he says, to bring fallen man into divine testing. Okay, and this is what you're going to see as a purpose. Well, well, why is God? Why, do, why isn't it just one consistent thing all the way through? Why do we even have to delineate that he's acting this way with a group of mankind here as opposed to here, as opposed to here? Well, what we're going to see, again, if we can get that far tonight, Ron, uh, is that uh, God is basically showing what he already knows, if you will, for all of heaven to see. That, listen, sin corrupts, sin pollutes. And no matter what God does, to the contrary, and we're going to see with each succeeding age, he adds another benefit to mankind to try to help us out to obey in light of now having the sin nature. But we still would not turn to him. Sending the loud message that sin completely, utterly uh, corrupts and it pollutes and that unless God was merciful and gracious, we all deserve to go straight to hell, okay? Now, usually when you start talking about hell, uh, people say, oh, there's no such thing as hell. Really? Uh, Jesus sure talked about it a lot. I don't think it's make-believe. Uh, and if there is no hell, then why did Jesus go to the cross? Well, what do we say from? A mediocre life? A life of poor economic stature? You know, that, that's actually how some people preach the so-called gospel. That's not the gospel. That's a false gospel. All right. But let me give you uh, just a few things about hell, okay? And people just, they, they accuse God of, man, that's pretty harsh. But let's take a look. The Bible describes, let me just give you 20 characteristics about hell. It's called a place of thirst, a place of worms, a place of no return, a place of remembrance. You'll remember every single opportunity you had to get right with Jesus, accept his wonderful gift. And you said, no. Yeah. Okay, you'll remember that forever and ever and ever. It's a place of the wicked dead. It's a place of the wicked demons. It's a place of the bottomless pit. It's a burning waste dump. It's outer darkness. It's not just fire. It's also a lake of fire, eternal fire, unquenchable fire. It's a place of everlasting punishment, eternal condemnation, eternal judgment, everlasting destruction, weeping, a of teeth, a place of torment, and a place of eternal torment. And I don't know about you, but it's so hard nowadays after becoming a Christian and being completely forgiven by Jesus Christ to just somehow muster up the desire to serve him and love him in return. I said it before, I give you examples. Do a study on hell. See where we deserve to go if it weren't for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Okay? That'll, that'll fire you up. That'll get you appreciative. But see, we don't even want to deal with it. Oftentimes in church. And I bring this up because a lot of people, skeptics, even people in the church, I don't hear that, you know, stuff like that. It's like, whoa. But, but typically the non-Christian, they'll act like God's doing something unjust. Well, again, I said all that about hell, and it is pretty graphic, folks. That's, whoa, that's pretty intense. You don't want to go there. Okay. Uh, but, but again, when you see what God's doing in these different time periods and how each succeeding one, he gives you, okay, I'll give you this to help you out. Okay, I'll give you this to help you out. Okay, hey, listen, no, and the whole point when he's all done, it's like, no matter what I've done for you, you still will not come to me. Is hell really that bad? I mean, he could have stopped two times into it. said, that's it, man. I don't, you will not respond. Unless I intervene out of another act of mercy. You will not respond, okay? And so I think, if anything, it also shows the necessity of a hell and that God is not being unjust, okay? People say that uh, a God is how somehow being unjust or unfair. That's accusing God of sin, which, by the way, is a sin, okay? Because God doesn't lie. He's holy, 
Okay, if you think about that. Let's continue on. It says, this in part is God's purpose of the ages. The result of the testings in every case, uh, an unquestionable demonstration of the utter failure and sinfulness of man. Why? Because in the end, nobody's going to stand before God and say, God, this wasn't right. This isn't fair. I didn't have no... Excuse me? I don't care what age you're in, there is no excuse. And every in, every mouth will be uh, stopped because every assumption of the human heart will be revealed as foolish and wicked by the centuries of experience. Okay? I don't care what God did for you, you still wouldn't respond. I don't care what age, pick an age. You still wouldn't turn to him. And unless he acted in mercy upon you, he even did all the work now in the age we're in called grace or the church age. And you still, he's done all the work. All you got to do is just reach out and take it. No. And he's being unjust with hell? Excuse me? Okay, let's continue on. Schaefer, he says this. He says it's important to understand this. And he says this, why? Since the child of God depends wholly on the instruction contained within the Bible for his direction of life. Can anybody say amen? Supposed to be that way. Uh, And since the principles obtaining the various dispensations are so diverse, and at times he says contradictory, I think I know what he means. Seemingly contradictorily would be better. As we saw the example is uh, contradicting, meaning that uh, like in the first age, we'll get to maybe uh, in our study, uh, you're going to see that uh, mankind was a vegetarian. Next age, God said it's okay to eat meat. Not a contradiction. And what you're going to see in these different things, well, we'll say, no, I'll do it now. What we're going to see in these different areas, okay, lest I forget, okay, what we're going to see in these different areas is they'll say, well, the skeptics, this is typically the ones that'll come back with you and I, because they don't, they're ignorant of scripture. They're just picking and poking at stuff. And they'll say, well, which is it, Mr. Christian? Uh, over here in the Bible, it says you're supposed to be a vegetarian. And over here, it says you're supposed to be. That's a contradiction. No, it's not. It's just that God is dealing this way with mankind for a certain reason and purpose in this age. And over here it says he can. I would say there might even be, I'm not going to say thus saith the Lord, but if you do the research in the pre-flood society as opposed to the post and the radical effects that it had on mankind and the benefits that we gain from, yes, eating meat, protein, things of that nature, okay? And uh, you can't always get what you really need now just from legumes. And I don't think they had peanut butter back then. Okay, uh, but uh, that I think because of the physical effects after the canopy fell down and things of that nature on the earth, you, you, we do need that protein. Okay, but still, there is no contradiction. And that's what they'll classically do and try to pit the scripture. But they're the ones who are also ignorant of, no, God's just, he's, you know, this is not salvation we're talking about. He's just dealing with people in different ways. Old covenant, new covenant, okay, etc. All right, let's continue on. He said that's important, okay? And uh, uh, it's important that we recognize these portions of Scripture which directly apply to us um, if, he, if we are to realize the will of God and the glory of God. Now, in considering the whole testimony of the Bible, it's almost as important for the believer who would do the will of God, which is what we're called to do, right? To recognize then, right? How many guys woke up today? I've got to do the will of God. That's why I'm still sucking air. All three of you, praise God. That should be 100%. Okay, yes, that's why we exist, to do the will of God. Uh, If we love him, we will obey him. We'll keep his commandments, okay? Well, therefore, that's a good thing, right? Well, how are you going to know what his will is? You got to get in the Bible. Well, praise God, at least that's the next good step. But if you get this wrong, how are you going to rightly understand his will? You're going to try to apply something that has nothing to do with us today. Well, it says in the Bible. And you're going to try it. You're going you're to be wasting your time. Okay, he says this, so we got to recognize which does not concern us, okay, as also it's important for us to recognize which does concern us. 
I may not need, praise God, to bring a lamb to the slaughter every time I blow it and sin every Sunday. Anybody thankful again for that? Yes, praise God. Okay, the cleaning bill would be horrific. Okay, but we're guys, we'd figure out something nifty. And, uh, but uh, we don't have to do that, praise God. Okay, but I am called, as God has written his law on my heart now, in my mind, internally, by the power of his spirit, I am called to love God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul, and my neighbor is myself. That does apply, okay? So let's continue on. He said, that's what we gotta understand. Now, it's obvious, apart from this truth, uh, where we will not intelligently be adjusted to the present purpose and will of God in the world. Now, such knowledge, though, will save us from assuming the hopeless legality of the dispensation. In other words, this will save us from people who'd say, well, hey, yes, we're in the New Testament, we're in the New Covenant, but again, as we saw last week, we've got to keep the Jewish festivals. We have to worship on the Saturday because that's the actual Sabbath. That's called legalism. You're wrongly applying the scripture. It says in the scripture, but you messed it up with the time frame. He says it'll save us from that uh, in the past or, listen, the other end of the spectrum because there's some still coming that we're not in the age. From undertaking the impossible world transforming program belonging to the dispensation which is to come. That one's called the millennium. That's the next one coming down the pike. Some would... Say that next, another dispensation is a seven-year tribulation. Someone throw in the eternal state at the very end, but whatever. We're just dealing with the seven classic ones. Okay, but the point is, there are people today that say that you and I are the ones, the church, okay, through our obedience, is going to usher in the millennial kingdom for Jesus Christ. And it's on our shoulders, and we're the ones that are going to do it with our behaviors of the church, then Jesus can come back. It's what? Jesus Christ, Revelation 19, is the one who comes back. He is the one who sets up the reign. He is the Prince of Peace. And only he is the one who's going to bring peace back to this planet, not us. So now you're going the other end of the spectrum. You're not trying to drudge up something from the past and creating legalism for it. But now you're going to the future and putting that responsibility on you. And it's just, what? And that's what you see in the church today, guys. This is why we got so many false teachers, false teachings, so many different denominations, simply because of this. And no wonder he made that opening statement, okay, uh, of all things to get right. In studying the Bible, you need to understand what God is doing throughout the ages, all right? Showers, he says this. He says, now, here's some of these examples we're talking about. Numerous uh, things in the Bible indicate that God employed different dispensations or ways of administering his rule throughout history. For example, before the Noahic flood, God did not institute capital punishment for murders. Genesis chapter 4, uh, Cain killed Abel. Did, was capital? No, what did he do? He banished him, okay, but at that particular time frame, for God's reasons, it wasn't. But, keep reading though, he did institute it after the flood. Genesis 9, when he says, you know, you can also eat meat. He says, oh, by the way, life for life. Okay? So that, that was a change, right? Now, it, not for salvation. That's always been the same. But the way that he's handling that generation, that did change. And again, we'll get to that. It's God's way of showing, listen, no matter what I do. And again, each succeeding generation, he slaps on another benefit. Okay, I'm going to help you out again, and we still don't respond, okay? And, uh, but that's, that's one example there. Between the, uh, uh, the giving of the Mosaic law and the death of Christ, God commanded that adulterers in Israel be put to death. Do we do that today for people who commit adultery? No. Anybody glad for that? Okay. He says, but since the death of Christ uh, does not so command. Uh, while the Mosaic law was in effect, God required Jews to worship on Saturday. 
the Sabbath. We gave that example. But since the death of Christ, God does not so require. We saw that Colossians chapter 2. Hey, don't let anybody judge you by what you eat or drink or the Sabbath or a festival uh, and things of that nature, okay? And the reason why we do it on Sunday is in honor, even scripturally, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? Is, is, is why. Uh, continue on. He says this. He says, God's people today do not offer animal sacrifice for sin, but before Christ's death, they were required to do so. Okay, now that's just a handful of just a slice of just a few of these different time periods of how God reacts. Any one of those will either lead to legalism or, and or false teaching, right? If you don't get it right. And that's just a couple examples. There's a whole lot more you can unfortunately get wrong. Okay, again, it's very important. Now, let's take a look at the first one. It's the dispensation. Hey, we get to fill in the blank tonight. Praise God. Moment of silence. Okay, I don't have any more time for that. Uh, it's called the dispensation or the age of innocence. Is your blank there. For those of you who got the workbooks, innocence, all right? This is the beginning point when man was created in Genesis chapter one. It continued until man fell, sin, Genesis chapter three. And during this time frame, Adam and Eve had the responsibilities. This, all they had to do. I'm giving you paradise and this is all you got to do. All right, be fruitful, all right, subdue the earth, have dominion over the animals, uh, use vegetables for food, and care for this garden. That's it. That's all you got to do. And God says, oh, by the way, there's one prohibition. Uh, uh, whatever you do, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's it, right? Man, God, he's so legalistic. He's just, he's just trying to ruin our fun. That's all you had to do, man. That's all you had to do, all right? Now, the phrase here, this is what it says. At this time, man had what was called unconfirmed, is your next blank there, unconfirmed favorable disposition. Unconfirmed favorable disposition, all right? Now, when this favorable disposition to obey God was put to the test, I mean, they didn't have to sin, right? They actually started out what we have never known this side of heaven without a sin nature. Anybody excited about that? I've shared that before, but man, it blows me away. You got to Johnny Erickson Todd, the quadriplegic, been in the wheelchair for decades. And when asked, what is she looking forward to when she gets to heaven? You'd think she'd say, I'm looking forward to new legs and getting out of this chair. She says, I am so looking forward to getting rid of this sin nature. Now that's godliness, okay? But Adam and Eve, they didn't have it. So that's why he used the word unconfirmed. All right, well, let's put it to the test. Will you still love God? I've given you everything you need. You know, I haven't given you 55,000 million rules. I've given you everything you need. And life is easy. I mean, stuff grows great and it's awesome and woo, right? You even got peace with the animals, man. You can hang out with the, uh, all kinds, you know, elephants and alligators. And, right? you know, it's cool. Okay, that's what it was, right? But no, what happened? They were put to the test and guess what happened? They blew it. Once again, uh, they blew it. Man failed. Uh, Satan tempted, obviously, eating the forbidden uh, uh, fruit from the tree there. And it ended. That was it. Okay. That was the first test. You blew it. Okay, that's when it ended there. The result that spiritual death came to them and their descendants. Hello? Anybody say thank you, Adam? Yeah. Anyway, and uh, including subjecting to disease, deformity, and Ruth. There it is. What is, I can't believe it. Act. Is that where X started? I don't know. But there it is. Act. Uh, uh, and uh, to the woman came a pain in childbirth. And the, listen, I love this. I got to point this out every time I get it because people misapply this scripture here. It says there, and the desire, the pain for the woman was pain in childbirth the curse and the desire to rule over man okay uh, the passage there in some translations will say that the desire was for her husband uh kind of like giving the impression that like hey she wanted to you know and no that's not what it all is talking about it's talking that she wanted to take authority now is there any teaching on the planet that has even infected the church 
that rejects male leadership in the home or in the church and demands that the female takes charge and she's the one who's to rule over and feminism. That's right, Jordan, all the way from Canada. It's feminism. Man, had to work that one out. Uh, yes, it's feminism. And what you see is that teaching actually feeds into the curse. Crazy. Absolutely. It doesn't liberate. It feeds the curse. Okay, is what that says. Now, for the guy, uh, the ground became cursed and uh, caused man to have to work much harder to produce food from it. We lost our infinite, uh, in, intimate fellowship with God. Adam and Eve did. Now they feared God as they gained knowledge of him, okay, of, uh, of sin, okay? So when they sinned, what was the first thing they did outside of blame? The first thing they did was they went and sowed and they did what? We never try to hide from God amongst our sin as if he can't see in the dark. But hey, the preacher's gone meddling. Let's continue on. Uh, this dispensation revealed the failure of man, but here's the neat thing. God could have nuked the planet right there. That's it. I've had, I can't believe, I'm starting all over. What's it say there? But at the same time, he gave the promise of a coming redeemer. I'll fix it for you. The seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely amazing. Especially when you look at it from God's uh, perspective. Now, the second one is the dispensation of conscience. Okay, conscience or the age of human determination. This began right after the next one, Genesis 3-7, up till Genesis 8, okay, after the, the, the flood there. The first new ruling factors that God used in this dispensation to govern man was the human conscience, okay, as Paul indicates that even some of the Gentiles who don't even have the law, Romans chapter 2, he says they even obey the law. They mock you. You got the law, but you don't even obey it. He says even these guys who don't even have the copy of the law, they know inherently it's wrong to uh, lie and to murder and to steal, which is the Ten Commandments in the law. And that's what his point. So there's this inherent knowledge. There's conscience, okay, that apparently was gained from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The second ruling factor uh, at this time period governing man uh, seems to be the Holy Spirit. And he says in Genesis 6-3, God talked about his Holy Spirit striving with man during the days prior to the Noahic flood. And the verb there means to strive, it literally means to rule. Therefore, the Holy Spirit was a ruling factor during this second time period. But what happened? Man failed again. Man failed again. Cain refused to bring the proper sacrifice to God and eventually killed Abel. Uh, conscience could convict, but it could not bring victory. Paul talks about that. And this is what's so amazing, the time frame that we live in. Okay, we're not only saved by grace, but after we're saved, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who's not just our deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, praise God, but he's there to give us the ability to now fulfill God's law in obedience to him. Okay, the ones that, that apply to us today. Isn't that amazing? So he even gives us the power, the ability to obey him. But as we're going to say, even in that time frame, we still don't do it, do we? All the tools are there. And we still don't tap into it. And we still don't do it. Okay. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, let's continue on. He says that in conscience there. Uh, God brought judgment. A man failed miserably. And uh, uh, Cain uh, refused to bring the proper sacrifice. He killed Abel. Uh, and, and mankind continued to grow more and more evil. And finally, God brought judgment through a worldwide flood. But here's, God could have started all over. That's it. I had it with you guys. I can't believe you. What's it say? God again showed his grace by saving anybody. Yes, it was down to eight. But the fact that he even saved eight, no one his family, mind-blowing. After, man. Okay, let's continue on. God's gonna each time throw in something else. Like, okay, now you're gonna do it? Okay, uh, next one, dispensation of human government. Uh, this is, uh, spans from Genesis 8, picks up after the flood, 
uh, to Genesis 11. That's the Tower of Babel. Yeah, we did great there. We, you know, once again rebelled against God. But anyway, so, so God's promise to know was that he would never again destroy the earth by a flood. Okay, but the second time by fire. Okay. Uh, anybody make a good fire noise? Okay, I got to shh. Somebody throw in a couple crackles. And then make a bomb noise. Right, okay. Man, let's just close in prayer. That was great. No, okay, yeah, the, the second time, as we're going to see at the end of the millennium and the great white throne judgment, boom, Second Peter 3, the earth, the whole universe gets blown up by fire and God has a new heavens and a new earth, okay? But anyway, but, so the first time was by a flood. The second time is going to be by fire. Now, here's the point. It's an unconditional covenant, okay? Man's responsibility during this time period, listen, here, here's, what, here's what God gave him. Again, he stacks another one on top. He's on the basis of human conscience. You got a conscience. You know right and wrong. There's no excuse. Okay, I've given you the restraining uh, uh, power of the Holy Spirit, okay? And then this time, I'm going to throw in on top human government. Okay, I'm going to give you human government. And surely with that three combo things, you're going to... How'd they do? No, they failed, okay? In fact, government was given the mandate to kill murderers after this point. So we're going to even really try to help curb this from getting out of control like it did last time before the flood, Okay. And uh, the command was uh, multiply, was renewed. The eating of meat was allowed. Uh, but again, mankind failed. This was evident by Noah's drunkenness. Okay. Uh, Ham's irreverence. What'd he do? Went back in there and he looked upon his dad. And whether that also implies other things, unfortunately, uh, sin. And uh, man, does your heart not grieve after what the Supreme Court has done? We had better pray and we better get active for our country, folks. We are headed for judgment. Uh, again, mankind failed, uh, and the moral and religious breakdown that resulted in the rebellion at the Tower of Babel. God says, all you got to do is get out there and repopulate. No. We're going to stick around here, and we're going to build our own kingdom. All right, so what God do? So that ended that thing, and God judged the people, confounded their speech, uh, and led to the development of separate nations. But again, God's grace is evident. He says, all right, I'll tell you what. I'm going to narrow it down for you. And that's when he begins to call Abraham, and he begins the process of preserving the godly line, okay? So, the fourth one is the dispensation of promise, okay? Or covenant with uh, Abraham there, okay? This one extended from Abraham's calling, Genesis uh, uh, chapter 12. Again, he came out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and that's that noise when you're t- in the car, and you take that really sharp corner. Because if you look at the map, it does go around the crescent there in the yeah, whatever. Uh, but the other driving things we saw before that you get out of that, the Bible says, I believe in Hebrews, uh, building on that text in Genesis, that Abraham left the Ur of the Chaldees not knowing where he's going. Who needs a GPS, right, man? Right? And you never get lost. You're just taking a journey. You're enjoying the journey. Yeah, whatever. Let's continue on. I got to finish. Uh, to the giving of the Mosaic Law in Exodus 18. That's this time frame. The fourth period here had four ruling factors which God had given to Abraham and his descendants. So here it is. Okay, you going to obey me now? All right? No excuse. Here's what I'm going to give you. You got that human conscience thing. Uh, you got the restraint of the Holy Spirit. You still got that human government thing going on. And I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm just going to give you a divine promise. All you got to do is trust me. That's all you got to do. I'm going to do it. Uh, 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 just trust me. Well, here's what happened. Abraham's descendants were called to trust in God and his promises. And they were given uh, to him. And we'll get into that, Lord willing, maybe next week on the covenant. Uh, Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant, etc. Things that God is still going to fulfill. He's not done yet. That's why he's not done with the Jewish people. 
Okay, if people want to write them off. That's a contradiction in the scripture. Uh, the promise is given there and they're called the Abrahamic covenant. But listen, Abraham and his descendants, how did they obey? Well, let's take a look. They failed the test. Okay, all they had to do was trust God. God doesn't lie. Trust him. You can obey him. But on several occasions, they disobeyed God with lapses of faith concerning the fulfillment of God's promises. And the first one, Abraham fathered Ishmael through Hagar. God says, I'm going to give you a son. I don't care if you're 100 and your wife's 90 years old. If I wanted to have a child now, you're going to have a child. Wouldn't that be cool today? Now, ladies are shaking their heads. Guys are just, it's just a whole different thing. Let's just move on. Okay. And, uh, but, uh, and, but what did he do? All you had to do was trust God. God doesn't lie like us. Why? And he compromised. And we, do you know, do you realize we still have to deal with this one act of disobedience? Ishmael? Why do you think there's all the fighting in the Middle East? You still got the two fighting against each other. Uh, today, after all this time period, because that one, uh, twice he lied concerning his wife, Sarah. Isaac lied concerning Rebecca. What you mean it goes down the generation? What you do today is your children watch you, they're going to copycat it? Oh, that's a whole nother message. Oh, uh, then he went down to the third one. Jacob was a great deceiver. Uh, the Jews didn't, listen to this, they did not return from Egypt to Canaan after the famine of Joseph's time ended. They were just supposed to go down there just during the famine and then get out of there. Okay, get your needs met because there is a famine, but it's going to be over and then get back. I, that's not God's promise is to be stuck in Egypt. They didn't do it. Apparently, they stayed there. And so again, all right, that's it. So God left him down there uh, is what we see there. Uh, and uh, the, the failure brought judgment. God allowed them to go into slavery, almost into annihilation. And that's when he began to raise up uh, Moses. Now, this uh, uh, dispensation applied directly to Abraham and his descendants. He's the one that got the promises from God, right? The rest of the world, though, is still kidding. Well, that ain't right. I didn't have enough proof. Uh, they're going to stand before God. That ain't right. Excuse me. You still have the remaining three. Human conscience, restrained by the Holy Spirit, and human government. You have no excuse. But now he's starting to narrow it down, okay, with Abraham. Now we get into the dispensation of the Mosaic law. Is your next two blanks there. And this covers from the Mosaic law until Christ's death on the cross. And when he died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, as we saw last week, which means we have direct access. Direct access, Hebrew says, to the very throne room of God. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can approach God with boldness, it says, and confidence to get help in our time of need. Isn't that what God the one who made the universe, who upholds and sustains it. And last time I checked, at least on Thursdays, it's big. And yet when we have problems, do we go to him? You see what I'm saying? So anyway, so, so that's what it was. So uh, uh, that Christ did that, indicating that Christ, uh, uh, through Christ, mankind had the opportunity to have direct access to God uh, aside from the human high priest. This ran from Exodus to Matthew 27. Okay, and uh, the, this dispensation had five ruling factors. Listen to what God did. Okay, now, now I'm going to throw some more on top. So surely you're going to get it right this time, right? And that's what you see there. Okay, so, so you've got human conscience, okay, uh, with people uh, in Israel. You've got the restraint of the Holy Spirit. You've got human promise. Don't forget your, uh, uh, the, the divine promises. Plus, I tell you what, I'm going to give you the Mosaic Law. Just in case you need something that really itemizes what you're supposed to do. Guys can understand that, I think. Hey, have you ever gone into a position where it's completely nebulous? 
Hey, you're hired. But you have no stinking idea what they expect from you or what you want to do. Isn't that frustrating? All right. So from a guy's point of view, you can go like, okay, listen, I'll tell you what. From God, if you will, I- I'm going to break it down for you. I'm going to itemize. Okay, here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. Here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. Here's what, and all you got to do is follow these do's and don'ts. Surely you're going to obey, right? We didn't even get that one right. Okay, let's take a look there. Uh, he says there, this is, was given uh, externally to rule Israel, Exodus 20, through the book of Deuteronomy. 613 laws uh, contained uh, uh, God's desire for moral, civil, and ceremonial aspects of Israel's daily life as a nation. And the question whether they would be willing to be able to live by these commandments was quickly shown to be in the negative. The Jewish people continuously broke the law and the ultimate rejection of God's rule came when they rejected their own Messiah. Okay? And nailed him to a cross. Uh, Throughout this time period, the people experienced several stages of God's judgment. Okay? So even the judgment, it it wasn't just boom, like the other ones. It's like he... he... All right, first I'm going to send you into captivity. And and surely you're going to wake up after that. I'll let you come back. And as we saw, even as you know, uh, at the end of Malachi, they still didn't do it. All right, so if you will, even in stages, his judgment came, they still. And you can even break it down even further when you go into to judges and, and things of that nature and how Israel just turned against God. He'd raise up a judge. He'd rescue them. Oh, you're going to listen now? As soon as that guy died, what'd they do? <laughs> Went right back in the evil. Raised up another guy. what did he do? While he was alive, did good. When he died, <laughs> went right back down to it. Okay? In fact, let's all do that. <laughs> Right on. You guys are staying awake. I've got to use these noises more often. Okay. Especially when you're talking about the seven classic dispensations of systematic Bible knowledge. So uh, anyway, but it's working well. Uh, when they rejected Messiah, God's judgment was to temporarily remove Israel from her place of blessing. Now I'll add one more thing to this. Okay. They not only didn't keep the law, they ruined the law. All right. Let me give you some examples and I'm still going to try to make it over to that next page by Craigie. Okay. And they came up with 39 main tasks that could not be performed on the Sabbath. All right, let me read from you uh, some of these things, okay? And then they built in loopholes, okay? All right? Remember when Jesus approached the Pharisees and said, listen, your, your so-called laws, it's just tradition, rules made up by men. This is not the law of God. Let me give you some examples. Um, uh, a person was not allowed to prepare food or go on a journey on the Sabbath. If they had to walk, they could only walk a maximum of 3,000 feet, which is about two-thirds of a mile. But the guidelines stated on the journey could be divided up by meals. So on Friday, here's how they got around it. Some went and deposited, you know, the day before the Sabbath, they went and deposited a meal two-thirds of a mile away. And so on the Sabbath, they could walk the two-thirds mile, eat a meal that they had stashed, then go another two-thirds of the mile. Yeah, but that's okay. Okay. Another one was they, uh, as we shared before, it was illegal. Uh, they said to spit on the Sabbath uh, because spitting spitting's not work, but plowing's work. And they believe that if you spit, it's going to hit the dirt and it's going to cause the, tur- the, the dirt to turn uh, and create a furrow. And that's considered plowing, which is considered work. Okay. Uh, and uh, let me give you a couple more. Uh, oh, by the way, when you broke these rules that they made up, death penalty. Now, I got some more I'm going to share with you. Death penalty. And Jesus shows up on the scene. And he says, man, when somebody, you go over land and sea to make a convert to this. And you make them twice as much the son of hell as you are. 
This is a burden. I've come. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light compared to this baloney. Okay. Let me give you some modern Judaism because you think it stopped? No, it didn't. Uh, let me give you a couple examples. Uh, this is from uh, uh, a Jewish scholar in a guide to the practical observance of the Sabbath. Okay. Here's some instructions today. Uh, cooking in most forms, boiling, roasting, baking, frying, act, uh, is forbidden on the Sabbath, especially when the temperature is raised above 115 degrees. Okay. Now, if the hot water tap is accidentally left on, it cannot be turned off on the Sabbath. Okay. Escaping gas may be turned off, but not in a normal way. One must turn off the tap of a gas burner with the back of the hand or the elbow. One cannot squeeze a lemon into a glass of iced tea, but you can squeeze a lemon onto a piece of fish. Okay? Uh, since Exodus 34.3 teaches you cannot light a fire on the Sabbath, it is also wrong to turn on electric lights. If you need to turn on the lights, you can get an automatic timer, which will do the job for you. So too, an air conditioner cannot be turned on by a Jew on the Sabbath, although a Gentile can do it uh, as long as the Jew doesn't explicitly ask him to turn it on. You cannot bathe with a bar of soap on the Sabbath, but you can use liquid soap. And here's one. I'll just stop this. This is for today, by the way. If someone is walking on the Sabbath and discovers they're carrying something in their pocket that they forgot was in there, they have to stop carrying it immediately. But now you've got a conundrum, a conundrum here. The same time, though, since Jews are not allowed to lift anything on the Sabbath, a person is not allowed to simply lift and take the item out of their pocket. That's one of those things that create a black hole in the universe, like eating pasta and antipasta in the same time-space continuum. Okay. All right. Now, in order to get it out, he has to reverse his pocket so the item falls out. And then he must leave it there. But if the item is valuable and he doesn't wish to leave it on the ground, he can ask the Gentile to watch over it for him. Or if you must take the item with you, you can carry it, but not in the usual way. You can put it in your shoe or tie it to your leg as long as you don't tie it in a knot or somehow suspend it between your clothing and your body. And you are a godly person. What? No wonder Jesus had choice words for the Pharisees who would put all these stumbling blocks to the Father. Rules, traditions, made up by man. Yeah, real quick. Well, probably not, I would guess. Uh, But again, if you're going to follow the old traditions, but these are new traditions, so who knows? Obviously, the rules change. Uh, okay, let's talk about grace real quick and then hopefully the millennial kingdom will be done. Uh, it says this, the next dispensation is grace there, uh, 108 there, number six. Uh, grace is involved certainly in every dispensation of God's program, uh, but this one is unique a little bit more. This is where we're at today, by the way. Okay, this guy says, although the grace of God's functioning in throughout the Old Testament times, it began to function in some new sense as a result of the ministry of Jesus Christ in his first coming. John indicated this when he wrote, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And he uh, appeared to be making this new function of grace parallel uh, with the function of the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law never functioned as a way of salvation. What? Yeah. As Paul says, it's, suppo- it's like a taskmaster. It's supposed to point you to the, the Messiah. That, oh, wow, I can't keep this law. I'm in trouble. I need a Savior. That's the purpose of the law. And, and as Paul says, the, nothing was wrong with the law. It came from God. Of course it's holy and right and just and true. The problem's with us. We can't keep it. 
okay, is, is the thing. He says, so it didn't function as a rule of a, a, a way of salvation, but it did function as a rule of life, a ruling factor, if you will. Now, John is saying, though, in light of this, that grace now has become as a function of a rule of life uh, for us now as a ruling factor uh, as a result of Jesus coming, okay? Now, this may be a good time to point out, as we stated earlier, to make the point that a rule of life is not a way of salvation. Not eating meat back here ain't going to get you saved, Right? Over here, when the Mosaic law was given and going uh, into the temple and offering your... That didn't save you. It's always been faith looking forward in God's provision, looking back to you and I today in God's provision. And that's what he's talking about there. He says rule of life is not the same thing as a way of salvation. And again, you get that one thing confused? All kinds of legalism. All kinds of false teaching and false teachers promote that today. From the beginning of time, man's always come to God through faith alone, belief, trust, and confidence. But the rule of life has changed throughout different dispensations. That's what we saw tonight, right? How many different, you know, he keeps adding. Okay, now you're going to do it. It's changed, okay? And that's what he says. Several passages talks about this in the New Testament, showing that grace is the ruling factor in this time period. Now, this spans from the birth of the church, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, uh, until the second coming of Jesus Christ, Okay, and that's in Revelation 19. Now, here's what God's done for us in this age. Okay, you've got human conscience. You've got the restraining of the Holy Spirit. You've got human uh, government. Okay, you've got uh, his promises. And now an age of grace. Right? So surely we're going to always obey God now. Especially being involved with the Holy Spirit, who is the one who empowers us to live a life that's pleasing to God. Hey, as Christians, we, we don't do that. Aren't you glad that salvation is complete in Christ? Even though we blow it, he knows it. Even though he's given us all this, we still blow it. Aren't you glad he doesn't say, bye, I'm done with you, go to hell. Wonderful, wonderful time period uh, that we're in. Okay, he is very gracious. Okay, it consists of a favorable disposition towards God and the indwelling Holy Spirit so that we can obey God. Now, during this dispensation, uh, man is supposed to obey God on the basis of the rules of life that we just mentioned. Uh, But as we look at God's word and how things will be at Christ's return at the end of this age, we're going to see that mankind is once again failing and will fail uh, to obey God on the basis of these rules of life. As Christ's return, uh, the unsaved will actually have the, even though, Every day they're taking breath. Every day God is saying, will you just receive this gift from me? I'm willing to forgive you everything you've ever done. My son's done the whole thing. You don't work for it. You can't earn it. It's safe. It's 100%. It's secure. All you got to do is just take it. No. Not going to do it. And that's what he says at the end. Not just reject that. They're going to lead, Battle of Armageddon, an organized uh, revolt against God. Can you imagine trying to take on God? I don't care how many nukes you got. You're nuked. You're the ones getting nuked. You're getting, what? That's how bad it is. It's crazy, okay? So they lead this revolt and then organize religion. Not the church. I believe the church is out here. But organized religion goes into apostasy. Okay? So even after all that, We still get it wrong. God's judgment is manifested uh, now by judging the world, by removing the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit, 
that Paul talks about, 2 Thessalonians 2, which a lot of people believe uh, could very well be the absence of the church as well. Uh, the rapture, judging and organized apostate religion. Babylon, she goes down the tubes, the one uh, world religion harlot, Revelation 17, uh, and destroys the revolt of the unsaved. That's a bloody mess, literally a bloody mess. I think it's four feet high. The blood is for 200 miles in the Battle of Armageddon. Don't mess with God. Now, the last one, and we'll close. The dispensation of the kingdom is your last blank there. And that's talking about the millennial kingdom. And it's going to begin with the return of Christ. Okay, Matthew 24, Revelation 19. That's what he sets up when he comes back, not just puts down the battle of Armageddon. He sets that up. And to reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem, literally. Now, during this time, Jesus is going to rule the world with a rod of iron. It's going to end, though, at the end of the thousand years with the release of Satan from the, uh, the pit. That's why it's been so awesome during that time. Uh, he's going to be released at the final uh, a thousand years there at the end there and uh, he's going to get mankind to rebel once again unfortunately this is covered in Revelation 20 uh, and there's many other passages dealing with that uh, and, and Satan again during this whole time is going to be bound uh, the demonic forces as well is going to be uh, inactive and uh, Jesus again is going to be ruling and reigning theocratically as we saw before this is the awesome news no more election campaigns no more election promises that are no fulfilled. And once again, I have to kick it every single time I get it. No more politics, which we all mean. Poly meaning many, and ticks are blood-sucking creatures. It's all gone. It's over. No more of that baloney. Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning literally on the planet. And he only does, always does, always what is right and just. Isn't that awesome? Okay, that's really coming to a planet near you. Okay, uh, and it might be pretty soon. Okay, uh, let's take a look. And he says that's what it's going to be like. The temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. The sacrificial system and priesthood will be revived, not as a means of salvation. It's just as a memorial. Why is that important? Because people say, well, you're teaching that, you know, you got to go back to the Old Testament law. Now they got a new way of salvation. Now you got to contradict. No, I don't. It's a memorial. Do we do anything today that's a memorial of what Jesus has done for us? Communion baptism. That's right, Bonnie. You got them both right. And very quickly, because we've got to finish. Uh, yes, communion is symbolic of what Jesus has done. Baptism, right? And so, yes, they're going to be reinstituted, but it's symbolic, right? These people are post the church age. This is after the seven-year tribulation, right? They're not in the, where we're at and sometimes take for granted the last 2,000 years of, oh, yeah, we all know about Jesus and he died on the cross, right? Uh, this is a different time frame. All right, let's continue on. Apparently... Uh, during this, we're going to have three ruling factors which God will use to govern the world. Human conscience, human government, and again, Jesus right there, literally ruling and reigning. You can't say he doesn't exist. You can't say he's doing anything wrong. You can't say this is all make-believe. And you can't say this is just a bunch of baloney to whip man up to manipulate. He's right there. So surely he's right there in front of you. Unlike today, he's right there. No, we don't even make it. Now, listen to what else he throws in on top of this. Not only Jesus ruling right, right there. Here's some characteristics of this. Nature is going to be restored to its pre-fall condition. Garden of Eden-like conditions. Isn't that awesome? The climate and natural elements will be controlled perfectly for the good of man. No more tomato, tornadoes or tornadoes, whatever those are. Those could be really bad, especially on your windshield and they get on the paint on the car. It'll stain, whatever. Uh, anyway, so uh, tornadoes, hurricanes, things like that. That's all gone, okay? Uh, uh, there'll be unprecedented growth in the fruitage of trees. Yeah. Uh, uh, animals are experiencing great productivity. Uh, food will be abundant. Uh, a- animals will be tame uh, and eat a vegetarian diet. You really could have a pet lion. Wouldn't that be cool? A pet elephant. 
Wouldn't that be neat? Huh? And call them tiny. That'd be cool. It's going to be tame, right? Me personally, I still don't think I'm going to like chickens in that time, but we won't go there. I don't want to start a false teaching. Uh, uh, diseases, deformities will be abolished. Okay, human life will experience great longevity. The people, not us, because we're gone. We come back uh, with our resurrected bodies. We're not going to have the sin nature, praise God. But the people who continue on the millennium, okay, who did trust Christ, uh, and who are going to repopulate the earth, their lives get to go back up to like Garden of Eden, up near a thousand, things of that nature. Uh, war is going to be abolished. Satan, again, is not going to be able to instigate any activity on the earth. Man is going to uh, be required to submit to a righteous rule of the Messiah, as if that would be hard to do. And so what happens? Still blow it. This dispensation will end in failure. Satan's release. He leads a rebellion against the king of the world, Jesus Christ. Uh, following this final battle, the great white throne judgment will occur in which the unsaved will be doomed to eternal punishment in the lake of fire. That ain't right. That's not fair. How could you ever... Excuse me. Once you now understand all these different ages and all the different tools that God has given us, no matter what he does, unless he causes us to turn to him, He's done it all. We still, we still won't respond. Unless he chooses to be merciful to us. We really do deserve to go straight to hell. Everybody. And yet, he says, I'll make a way. I'll make a way out of this mess. And then you get to ultimately enjoy the final thing. The heavens and the earth will be then destroyed and they will be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. And at this point, there will be no more and eternity will begin and so shall it be forever and ever and ever and ever. As John says, hallelujah, amen. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven? and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, The the Ten Commandments, the the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, You guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, 
let's be honest, if you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. 
The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.